Well, it's a pleasure to be with you again here this morning. It's been a while since I was last with you on a Sunday morning. And uh, as I go back about five years, probably the first time I was here, I remember being greeted by then, yeah, I believe, your vice president of council, Chris Vanderslice. Um, we have been praying along with you for Tanya and Hannah and Elizabeth for these past four years. My wife has uh, been an employee of Granville Public Schools and has worked with Chris for probably his last 15 years of his career. He was a good man who had an impact not only in your community but in the greater community of Granville and um, in the instrumental role that he had as a, a principal, an educator, coach, teacher. Um, he used his influence well for God's kingdom. So as we prayed for them this morning, I know that your hearts hurt as well. So let me pray for you. God, we thank you for the life well lived of Chris Vanderslice and for the opportunities to give testimony that he, he took advantage of through these struggles of these final years of his life. But we pray now for his body of Christ here the church. While we rejoice with those who rejoice, we also weep with those who weep, but we do not weep without hope. While his presence, his laughter, his, his joy of life, his, his grit will be missed, we thank you that we do believe in the resurrection. And it isn't just a wishful hope, but that Jesus Christ, the first fruits from the dead, has already occurred. He is risen. He is in heaven. He is coming back again to take his own to be with him. And so, Lord, it is with hope and joy mixed with our sorrows that we pray to you. Lord, for the hearts of God's people here who are hurting today, remind us of that hope. Bring comfort and healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first time I, I came, I, I shared with you about uh, 2012, I think it was, about a little fledgling opportunity that was emerging between the Christian Reformed Church in North America and the Reformed Church in America to start some new churches in Wyoming to see once if we could do multiple new congregations there and actually change the city. That was this big, audacious goal that we had. We started off with six churches. We now have eight. We have a ninth one that's in the incubator right now, just all in that city limits of the, the community just to the east of us. Since that time, we also started a one-on-one -on -one mentoring program. Many of you have been mentors in that, in that program, as you've shared one hour a week uh, with a student who had need of someone to be an encourager and a supporter. Uh, and sometimes to challenge them as well. We thank you for that participation. Along the way, we began to start some uh, community centers throughout the city. Our goal is to have seven of them. Uh, one is uh, just being piloted right now at Calvary Christian Reformed Church on Byron Center, partnership with Metro Hospital. They're doing some education and health training there through the hospital, and we hope to do that in other places as well. The board of directors just met this past week, and now we're looking at economic development. And so what started off as such a little small group of church planters has been used by God to continue to emerge to try to change a city. 
which was that ultimate goal, which seemed so beyond our means at the time, but God continues to work there. I was speaking with the, the superintendent of Wyoming Public Schools this past week, and he was talking about the multiple cultures that are res- present in that one school district. I don't know you, about you, but people from other cultures capture my attention. You know, it's, it's hard not to stare at them at the restaurant or the, the airport because I'm kind of a curious fellow, and I suppose some of you are as well. But how do we recognize foreigners? It might be their accent or the language that they speak. It might be the dress that they wear. Obviously, I'm a foreigner today because I'm wearing a coat. Or maybe it's how they celebrate their holidays. We once had some neighbors who were from Vietnam, and the aromas that came out of their windows were different than ours. The music that came out was different than what we listened to. And I learned something from them. I learned how to carry a rabbit. I never knew that you could just pick up a rabbit by its ears and carry it. I didn't know those were handles. But evidently that is a part of their custom. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says that Christians in this world are foreigners and exiles. More specifically, Ivanrest Christian Reformed Church believers are foreigners in Granville, Michigan, USA. How then will our society recognize us as different? Paul begins this first letter by identifying his readers as literal foreigners. He writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They are foreigners in these other countries because they are exiled from Jerusalem where it was no longer safe for them to live because of the persecution against the Christians. But as this letter was circulated, even to us today, foreigners and exiles took on more of a metaphorical meaning, not just because of physical location, but because God's people are to be set apart and to be different strangers, in a sense, in the world in which we live. So our theme today can be captured in this sentence. Living like a foreigner protects us and benefits our neighbors. It's the text we're about to read, that living like a foreigner protects us spiritually and enhances our witness for the benefit of the rest of the world. Listen now to these words from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, the literal there is beloved. Paul is, or Peter here is not speaking a, a, a command like a drill sergeant to his, his command, but he's, he's speaking a, a loving plea. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. 
Christians are foreigners in our culture. We simultaneously live in two worlds. Not a new thought, however. God's followers have been foreigners throughout all of biblical history. We start with Abraham, who was called out of Haran, his place of belonging, to to leave to a place God says, I will show you. And he spends the rest of his life sort of as a nomad traveling through other people's territory. Then we go on to his descendants. The nation of Israel is formed as exiles in Egypt, first of all as guests or strangers there, but ultimately as slaves there. And then when they're finally released after 430 years to wander through the wilderness, traveling from nation and through nation after nation, foreigners in other people's land. Finally, they do settle in, but not for long because eventually we see them again now as exiles in Babylon and Assyria. The people of God throughout the whole Old Testament always seem to be living in somebody else's place. They're, they're living as foreigners, set apart by God to be different. Jesus was born a Jew, but he grew up in Galilee and was rejected by his own people. He never seemed to fit in with his own. He was better received by the Gentiles than his own nation. And here we have the early Christians of the first century who are also labeled as foreigners. Living as foreigners or exiles or strangers or sojourners, whatever term you want to use, is consistently true of God's people throughout all of biblical history, and now we join them as well. Because we also live in two worlds at the same time. We all live in or around Granville, Michigan in 2017. We shop here, we work here, we go to school here, we live among the other residents who call this home. We patronize the same restaurants, we speak the same language, we watch the same television channels. I have my driver's license to prove that I'm a citizen. I have my voter registration card to prove it. I have a social security number. I have all the evidences, as you do as well, that you are citizens here in this world, in this city, this state, and this country. Living in this culture is easy. By that I mean it's natural. We don't have to think about it. It just is the way it is. But Peter calls us foreigners and exiles. That's not so easy. That's not so natural. In fact, it has to be a conscious decision that we make multiple times a day. Paul writes it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says that our real citizenship is in heaven. That's our real citizenship. Now, the Israelites had a well-defined code that set them apart from the other nations that they traveled through or lived among. I'm just finishing right now reading the book of Deuteronomy, my personal devotions, and it's a whole book called Deuteronomy Means Second Law. It's, the, it's God's words to the Israelites of how they are to be different and live their lives separate from the rest of the nations in which they are, are dwelling. Set apart to be holy, it means. 
what sets us apart besides the fact that we pull out of our driveways at 8.17 on a Sunday morning and return two hours later. This balance of living in both worlds applies not only to us individually, but to the church as well. The church of Jesus Christ can sometimes be so accommodating to the world that we become more like secular humanists without transcendent, transforming, healing presence of the Almighty God. We become like a social agency out there to do something good for the world, but we disconnect ourselves from the divine. We can become so much like the world that we don't look any different than the world. But on the other hand, we can become, as Reinhold Niebuhr says, so bunkered from non-Christians that we are shielded to a point where we cannot even influence the world because we're so part, apart from it. Let's not forget that Jesus was once labeled a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that Jesus said in John 17, when he's praying for his disciples, he uses these words, my prayer is not that you take them, the disciples, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We summarize what Jesus says there by saying we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We're living in that, that tense space between two kingdoms. We're living in that tense space between being in the world, but not of the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5 in the great Sermon on the Mount, that we are to be the light of the world, which means we're not to be hidden under a bushel, but to be put on the hillside so that all can be illumined by it. Not to live in seclusion from the world. And then we have those final words of Jesus where he says, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. So in that tension we walk today, that our citizenship is naturally here, but God is calling us to be foreigners in this very culture that is ours. Why is it so important that we learn how to live as foreigners in this world? We have two answers to that question. The first is this. Living like a foreigner protects our soul. Living as a stranger in this world is a way of protecting our very spiritual lives, our souls. Listen again to verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Have you ever thought of that? We are in a war. Whether we recognize it or not, there is a war that is waging within each one of our souls every day. The enemy's tactic is to take what is wholesome, natural desires that we each have, God-given, and then tempt us to become obsessed with them or to pursue them to an excess. Sinful desires, as it's read here in the text, literally means desires of the flesh. 
desires of the flesh, uh, we might quickly jump to sexual sins at that point. And to some degree, it's true. Because what God meant for good, honorable between a husband and wife, when taken to the excess, or when we become obsessed with it, and go beyond the bounds of the covenant of marriage, is when we allow our natural fleshly desires to exceed God's desire for us. But when we talk about fleshly desires in the scriptures, it's more than just sexual sins. It's, it's more about what it just means to live as a human being in this world where we have natural fleshly desires towards other things as well. For example, we have this natural fleshly desire to belong. Every one of us was created to be in community. We want to belong. I was talking with a friend the other day who works in the medical field, and he said that, that, that there's a spike today in the amount of people who are dealing with anxiety. And particularly among young people. And the anxiety is around the desire to be accepted, the desire to belong. We have our cell phones now. We are constantly connected with people, and we know what's going on and what we're invited to and what we're not invited to and, and where, where we're in and when we're out. And this anxiety is continuing to, to kind of permeate itself through, through our culture. We have this natural desire to belong. But if we become obsessed with it, it can lead us to mocking other people in order that we can be accepted by the certain peer group that we want to be a part of. Or we can begin to accept or adopt the language of that peer group or the vulgar uh, humor that they have just because we want to be accepted. We take a natural desire to belong, it becomes excessive, and it becomes something that draws us away from God. Or we have a natural desire to seek what is safe and secure, but taken to the excess it leads to unnecessary accumulation and sometimes taking advantage of others in order that we can get more of what we don't really need anymore. So when we get caught up into the values and the standards of our world, it becomes dangerous to our souls unless we live as foreigners apart or separate from it because our soul is at stake here. How we respond to natural desires impacts our spiritual life. And if we slip into the values of the world, our spiritual growth becomes stunted and God's reign, Jesus' reign in our life, begins to be diminished. Rather than becoming more like Jesus in every area of our life, we become more like reflections of a sinful world. If, on the other hand, our values align with heaven rather than earth and we live accordingly, our souls are strengthened. You and I take naturally great pains to avoid physical danger. We take all kinds of precautions to protect our bodies but our souls too often go unprotected like a virus, an infection that quietly destroys from the inside. 
our unbridled passions stunt our Christian growth and Christ's reign in our life or his lordship. Living like a foreigner means we live countercultural and it protects our soul. That's the one reason living like a foreigner is important to us. There's a second reason that Peter gets at in verse 12, and it's this, living like a foreigner strengthens our witness. Living different than the world, living as strangers in this society, strengthens our witness to this world. Listen again to verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, the day he comes back. Peter and his readers, his audience here, lived in a hostile world. They were in exile in other countries because of the then reign of Emperor Nero. Nero was a ruthless man. He killed his own mother. He killed his own wife. He burned Christians at the stake to give light in the darkness at night. He dressed up Christians in, in wild animal skins and then turned the dogs loose on them. And Peter, the very author of this letter himself, was murdered by Emperor Nero. Even in this very personally hostile world in which Peter lived and now writes this letter, he begs his readers to stand out and be witnesses. In a hostile world like that, there would have to have been a huge temptation to just kind of fit in. Remember Peter earlier in his life when when he wants to deny Jesus and does it those three times because he, he doesn't want to get identified with the dangers of associating himself with Jesus. He's come a long ways. Here he not only stands out himself in this world, but he invites, encourages, urges his readers to do the same. And he says, live such good lives. The, the translation can also be beautiful. I love that word here. Live such beautiful lives that your enemies eventually have to eat their words and bow before God with you on that last day. They will stand as fellow celebrants when Jesus returns. Live such good lives among them. But again, this doesn't just apply to to us as individuals, but to us as a church. The church is getting beat up these days. It's being called irrelevant, institutional, legalistic, judgmental. Lots of adjectives have been attached to us in recent days. People are saying, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. They're saying, I like Jesus, but I don't like his people. 
We created a name for these people. They're called de-churched. They've left our ranks at some point or another, many of them. And, if we're bluntly honest, we deserve some of that criticism. Peter says, live such beautiful lives that those labels don't stick. Live such beautiful lives that those labels don't stick. So what could that look like? What if Christians stood out because of our generosity in this world? Being willing to give up our car or our kidney or our cash. What if we were more generous than anybody else around us? That would make us stand out like foreigners in this world, in a world that is clutching whatever that can get. What if we stood up against injustice? When we identified those people who were were being ignored and sometimes oppressed by the very systems around us, what if we were the ones that stood up in their defense? We would look different than the world. What if we were forgivers, even of those who may have slandered us? In a world of revenge, we would stand out as different. We would be strangers in such a culture if we were people who were forgivers. Going along with that, what if we were reconcilers instead of polarizers? God knows this world has plenty of polarizers these days. Most of us can't think of a time in our history where the world, our country, has been more polarized than it is today. But what if, like I think at 3 o'clock this afternoon, the Catholics and the Protestants are coming together in worship after 500 years, those kinds of stories of reconciliation were more how the world would know us. When a husband and a wife, when brothers and sisters, when co-workers, when neighbors, when classmates or, or fellow athletes didn't get along, if we were the one that stepped into the breach and were the reconcilers, wouldn't we stand out? In this world? What if we stood out because of our hospitality? That we were the ones that welcomed those who were addicted and didn't try to hide from them, push them away? What if we were the ones who accepted and welcomed and took care of the refugees? Gosh, throughout all of Old Testament, the people of God were refugees. What if we were the ones who were welcoming the prisoners as they were released from incarceration? We'd stand out in this society. What if we were the ones who particularly took care of the disabled? One of our church planters in Wyoming, George Gravenstuck, adopted 200 homes around where he was living and now has extended that to 400 homes. And his goal is that Every year, he stops at every one of those homes three times. There was one home in his, his parish where they would never open the door. But they were doing a block party in the neighborhood once again, so he 
he tried knocking again. This time it finally opened a crack. They received a little flyer and inviting them to the block party. He came back a little later to remind him again. The door opened a little bit further. This time there was not like a pair of eyes here, but a few more eyes looking through the crack down below. He realized there were more people living in the house than he knew. They showed up for the block party. He realized at that point that this was a group home. And they had all come out to be a part of the party. He invited them to their worship, which was on Thursday night with a dinner following. And to his glee, they showed up. But they left immediately as soon as the service was over, before he could even get to them. They came back a second week. He tried to reach out to them, but they were gone. They just almost flew to the van afterwards. And by the third week, he was determined he was going to catch up with them. He caught them in the parking lot and the van was already pulling out and it was like they were trying to get away before he got to them until he finally knocked on the window of the van as it was moving and finally the driver lowered the window and, and George said to them, I just want you to know that we so much appreciate you coming and that you are welcome here and we just hope that you continue to be a part of our fellowship. He said the driver of the van began to cry. She said, everywhere else we've been, we've been asked not to come back again. And I thought that's what you were coming to tell me, so I wanted to get away before you could say it. What if the church of Jesus Christ was that welcoming place? It would stand out in the world. We would look different. And in the verses that that Peter uses to follow this passage. He gives examples, other examples of how Christians could stand out. First, he says, we could stand out by, by respecting government leaders and those in authority. Those are the following verses. And those who have authority over us. He goes on and says how believing wives could win their wayward husbands through purity and reverence and a gentle, quiet spirit. Living like a foreigner protects you and your spiritual, your soul. Living like a foreigner benefits your neighbors because our witness is, it, 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 it overcomes their criticism so that they finally have to embrace the same Jesus that you and I have embraced. And when the, that final day of visitation comes, that they will be joining us and celebrating it. I love what Eugene Peterson does to this text when he paraphrases it in the message. So let me just kind of read this as a summary. He says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Let me leave you with a couple of questions to consider. What evidence have you seen of a war being waged in your life? Where are the battle lines currently drawn? In other words, what, what natural desires are being tempted today to be obsessive or to be excessive? And who is winning? Second question, 
What do you think your reputation is with your non-Christian neighbors or fellow students or workers? What's your reputation with them and why? And then how would you like to see that reputation modified? What could you do today to begin to make that happen? And then a question for the whole congregation. How can you strengthen your reputation in the world that will refute their distrust of the church? I knew from a distance that Ivan Rest Christian Reformed Church had come along the Vanderslices and done some of the remodeling in their home once Chris was disabled and paralyzed. It's those sort of stories that begin to refute the prejudices of the world when they see Christ Church coming together, donating time, money, food, whatever else you've done for the past four years that make you stand out in the world, keep doing it. People of God, let's be a beautiful colony of heaven here on earth, both for our spiritual strength and for the world's witness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you were not afraid to live as a foreigner in this world and as a result of that it brought you to the very cross where your blood of life spilled to the ground on our behalf so that we might have good news you lived as a stranger in this world and you call us to do the same God where the natural desires of the flesh have taken over any one of our lives and have caused us to to begin leaning away from you and to be captured by, by the things and the desires, the values of this world. God, alert us to them this morning. Give us then the strength which you give through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us to overcome them. There's no temptation that's taken us. That's not common. But you have given us a way of escape and we claim that today. That we might live as strangers in this world for the protection of our very souls. And then, Lord... We pray that you may give us opportunities and that we may see them where we might live as strangers in this world that our witness may be strengthened and people who may have a, have a prejudice against you and your church or your people. That those prejudices would not be able to stand because of the behaviors of folks who live by heavenly values, not the values of this world. We thank you for that high calling, that holy calling, that set-apart calling. We thank you for the power of the Spirit that allows us to live into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing hymn together.